Hello and welcome to another episode of I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. Um, we're coming to you from a, a new little studio. Um, for those of you who listened to the last podcast with Maxie, uh, my dog started snoring about two-thirds of the way through, so we won't have that problem this time. Uh, today's guest is Care Kahulane, also by the name uh, Charles Ennis. Care is a uh, Wiccan elder based at a seashell. He's also the first police officer to come out of the broom closet, as he puts it, as a practicing Wiccan. He's published about 26 books uh, on a variety of topics. Uh, some of those include The Law Enforcement Guide to Wicca and The Wiccan Warrior, a phenomenal book that, that you should definitely check out that uh, looks at the practice of Wicca almost in a, a kind of martial arts perspective and in a way that we can all definitely benefit from from his uh, his teachings. Kerr is also a self-described amateur astronomer. He's a member of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, the RASC, and is uh, is very involved in the, the work towards equality of all genders, uh, sexualities, cultural backgrounds, and so forth. It was truly a pleasure having him on the show. Um, be sure to check out his work as well as like, subscribe, comment, and share. Uh, I'm probably wrong about everything podcast with others. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. This is an open mind. And you're listening to I'm probably wrong about everything. Now, now, when I do these, I do a little introduction before and just okay. introducing you because I know you're an author. Um, this astronomy show is new to me, um, and and you have a history as uh, as as a, a police officer, and you're in the Air Force. Well, yeah, I, I I my father really wanted me to become an officer and a gentleman and a pilot because that was something he didn't achieve when he was in the RAF. Oh, and so I went off into the world to become that, and then went, "Hang on, that's your dream, not mine." So I went into law enforcement. I did a career there. I retired. But one of my very first passions in the world, because my father, well, my parents bought me this telescope when I was about this big, uh, was astronomy. And so now I am the first vice president of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, and I've done documentaries. Whoa on amateur astronomy i've written books on how to build observatories and and done six seasons of this show called night lights on east link tv and i'm right now working on a training video between the resc and the canadian center for uh, gender and sexual diversity to mm -hmm. uh, promote uh gay and trans people in stem science so you know that's the kind of stuff i'm doing now so you, you're, you're not good at being uh, not busy, eh? Yeah, people have gone to me and said, hey, you're, you're retired, you're busier now than you were in law enforcement. They said, it's better now, I'm not fighting with drugs. It's all good. Yeah. All good. Well, I, yeah, I imagine that must have taken up a lot of your energy, being in law enforcement. Well, I mean, 
as luck would have it, I, I happened to turn out to be the first pagan officer to go public about his beliefs. And so I had to spend 25 years educating the law enforcement community, traveling all over North America, defending the pagan community of ultimately being recognized as, as an expert in, in hate crimes against minority religions. And, you know, I was, I was in the Syria Interfaith Council for a while. I was a, a chaplain at uh, St. Vincent's Hospital. Interesting, which chaplain <laughs> Catholic hospital, but it worked, it was a good group. But then I retired and moved up here to the Sunshine Coast and got seriously back into um, astronomy. But I'm also working about educating people about, well, this is why I got my First Nation stuff on here in the CIA Reconciliation Movement paddle, is I'm working on uh, getting people to recognize their skies, night skies, mm -hmm. and so on, and working to combat the effects of artificial light at night and how that interferes with people's health and safety and hides the night sky that our ancestors were inspired by. And also I, I founded the Inclusivity and Diversity Committee for the RASC two years ago. So we're working on inclusivity and diversity issues for women and you know all kinds of different ethnicities and two S L G T B Q plus I think I got that right. And all those things. So I mean I'm I am the the founder and still leader of an order of knights, the order of paladins, and it's all about service. So if you want to understand me, that word is it. It's about serving the community, and that's what we're all about. So you, if you're going to uh, tell people that this is one of the things we do, then you damn well better go out there and be an example and do it, you know? So that's well, it. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely speak to giving back to the community and the power that that is for ourselves, right? When you give back to others, you're giving to yourself. Yeah, you get, what you put out, you get back. 100%. It's not exactly a, you know, threefold thing. That'd be a feedback loop. As, as a, you know, amateur scientist, they don't buy that, but you do get back what you put out there. It's, it's, it is true. So uh, you, you read the, the, the reason what uh, got me interested in you is this book, The Wiccan Warrior. Right. Now, this book was written about uh, almost 1990. Yeah. Okay, the version that I saw was 2001. So it's 30 years old. But when I, as I was reading it, I was like, whoa, this is super relevant today, perhaps more than ever. Right? I think probably it is, yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you kind of explain what, what the Wiccan warrior is? A warrior is a person who does a fearless inventory of themselves and then uses that to take charge of their life. It's about, it's definitely about taking charge and, and taking responsibility for your life. You know, being a warrior isn't about using these, it's about mm -hmm. using this. You know, it's not about being aggressive, it's about being assertive. It's, um, the Wiccan read and it harm none do it thou wilt. A lot of people do and it harm none mostly pretty well, except they very often forget that that includes them, you know. And but they they don't really give the second part, do it thou wilt, the the emphasis that it needs because that is carpe diem, reach for the stars, be all you can be, be glorious, which is the you know motto of our order. So. Um, it's okay to be powerful. I mean, Amber Kay, another uh, Wiccan author, once said, you know, you, you can no longer be the victim. 
if you've told the world that you are a witch because you've just told the world, hey, I'm powerful. Well, you know, that's it. So uh, that's basically where we came from. When I, when I was defending the Wiccan community, I kept running into people who understood that I was a cop, but then didn't understand what that meant. They, they said, well, you're a police officer, therefore, I mean, don't you do violence to people? And I went, here's the thing. I was sworn in by the province of British Columbia as a peace officer. Specifically, that's what the legislation states. And that's what I am. I may be a karma accelerator. Somebody goes and crosses the line. I may be the person to make sure that they... <laughs> Take responsibility for that stuff, but I, it's my job to manage violence. And if, and as a serious martial artist, and I am, you um, learn how to control that without going across that line. So you know, I'm a chaos conductor. You know, so I mean, warrior doesn't have to do with fighting at all necessarily. It, it's it's about being effective, like I said. So back in the the day when I was writing that book, you, uh, you would go to pagan festivals where you had people who were pagans who were doing um, security, you know, the first aid. And they, people were very comfortable with them being there and doing that, but not in my circle, like, because I'm afraid of what you are because you're a warrior. Like, oh, good grief, we need to fix this. People don't understand what this warrior thing is. It's, it's a valid archetype. You don't have to be nothing but warrior. It's something you can access when you need to, mother protecting her children or whatever. But there are all kinds of other architects, archetypes you can use too, like, um, you know, magician, leader. There are, there are other options. So it's one that I was more off in the, the, uh, I was more often accessing that archetype when I was in that particular part of my life in a, in a law enforcement career because you needed to be, you know. Um, but that's, and, and it's still like a part of my identity, but it's not something I normally have to do on a day-to-day -day basis now because I retired from that stuff, you know. I'm in Stoneham right now. Right. So, right. so you, you wrote the, the, this handbook on a lot, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on the title, but a Wiccan's Guide to Law Enforcement? A law Enforcement Guide to Wiccan. Yeah. Yes. So is that kind of the inspiration of the Wiccan Warriors because you're a police officer? Not, well, I mean, what the reason that book happened was I had people stopping me in the halls of the police department on a regular basis saying, so I heard you were a Satanist. You're like, oh, you got a minute? Like, <laughs> oh, okay, here we go again. You know, and, and ultimately I wrote this, which was actually in the beginning, a 44-page booklet but then mm. it was expanded. Um, and, and when they'd stop me saying, do you have a minute? I'd say, no, take this, read it. <laughs> okay, and I, I got other things to do. But it then became a resource for all of those agencies that I was trying to educate. And, uh, and then it ultimately became a, a book with a completely different title. You know, it's not called Pagan Religion. It's a resource for, you know, agencies. And, and it's still out there. So, I mean, that was what that was about. But, but then as a result of standing out in that fashion, I mean, when I first got involved in this anti-defamation stuff, I approached the Witches League for Public Awareness and said, I would like to work with you. And it took them six months to figure out that I wasn't a, an agent provocateur trying to infiltrate them because they were trying to wrap their head around. What? Wicked. Like, 
And, and the thing is, every single time I have ever spoken to a law enforcement audience about these subjects, ever, every single time, at least one officer would come up to me and say, okay, if you can do it, I can do it too. I'm, I'm Wiccan Druid, whatever, you know, taking him some. But the first mm -hmm. time was in, at Heartland, um, back in 1994, at, they had gotten a new piece of property. They were, you know, trying to introduce themselves to the local law enforcement agencies, Kansas Bureau of Investigation, Leavenworth PD, and that sort of thing. So I was in front of 30 officers telling them this is what who we are and what we are about. And, you know, and, and every time someone would ask a question, I would answer it. And then this guy over here would add to it. And when that was done, I said, okay, I'm done, go out, meet people, shake hands, you know, and, and I went straight to him and said, how long have you been public? And he looked at his watch and said, about 15 minutes. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a huge um, community of first responders out there who are part of minority religions, pagan or Afro-diasporan or whatever. It, there are a huge number of people in the military who are, you know, pagan or other and uh, it, it, you know, when, when 911 happened, the, the assistant to the Secretary of the Air Force, Major Tony Gatlin, who is now a colonel, I believe, Wiccan, right? I mean, you can have it on your dog tag. So, I mean, it's, it was part of the, you know, cycle of our religion becoming accepted and coming of age and, and becoming mainstream, I think. Uh, all of this stuff, the growing pains that we were going through. You know, dealing with this stuff, but but part of it was my part of it, I guess, was trying uh, to help people understand what that warrior archetype looked like and how to work with that, you know, and, and how that worked. So, I mean, the order of knights that developed uh, back in two thousand seven, the order of paladins. This was I was for five years um, the leader of officers of Avalon, not an organization I created. That was Corporal Tricia Malensky that created that, but this was an organization that represented police firefighters and paramedics who were any flavor of pagan. And our, the purpose was if you had come out in your department and you were having problems, we would show up and say, hey, my department isn't having a problem. Let's figure this out. Let's help you, you know, sort this out. So I would on a regular basis get people calling me and saying, I would like to join your organization, right? Which of the three professions are you? And they went, well, I'm not any. Well, then why are we having this conversation? Because you're knights. Went, Oh, okay. So I created an order of knights. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's about service. And we don't advertise, but people show up and, and you get some really good, we have really good people in Canada, the US, Australia, uh, Spain, the UK, they're all over the place. Well, not a huge organization, but really committed people who, who are committed to standing up and being that example. Like this is what it looks like. So. That's kind of what you're looking at when you're looking at me. That's that's where what, what it's all about. So how many how many people do you have in this this order? Oh, say? we have about forty. If everybody shows up, it's not huge. But I'm not I'm not trying. Yeah. For followers, I mean, if I've got followers, I've failed because it means they think they're getting their power from me, and that's ridiculous. I want brothers and sisters that stand shoulder to shoulder with me, and we all are powerful together. So, and again, we don't advertise, we don't mean to, because you, 
it, you want people who are committed enough that they identify with this and this is their life. It's not something that they're just putting a certificate in the wall Well, I earned that and I'll go do something else now. This is what we do. So, you know, we have two uh, major perceptories, one here where I'm sitting in Seashell, the other one is Ardantane, which is Amber Kay's um, school down in um, New Mexico in Yemen Springs. And between the two places, that will, is where we do any face-to-face -face training, but most of it's on Zoom like we are right now. And um, really good people from all walks of life and not as necessarily all Wiccan over the years. I mean, it's not, this isn't the Wiccan tradition, it's an order of knights, but um, we pride ourselves in pushing the, the boundaries on, on, you know, energy and magic because we're always trying all kinds of interesting new things and, and, uh, and coming up with great ways of, of trying to get people to experience themselves. I mean, one of the, the, the things that, that I got when I was in the early days in Wicca where I had two initiations, one was George and one was the newer Reformed Orthodox Order of the Golden Dawn, Arud is like, here's the formula. Everybody uses this pantheon. This is, every single time we have a Beltane, this is the ritual, always this way, you know. Um, and everybody, you know, has a book of shadows that they recorded, which is the one that was recorded from the person before. It's this apostolic succession thing. And um, a lot of the things in that book of shadows don't work for me. And it's not because there's something wrong with me. It's because this isn't me. And, and so in the order, what we do is we, we throw all of that out the window. I mean, you can have a book of shadows. It's just a way of recording what you're doing so that it's useful to you. I, it's not recording anything I've got. And what I want to do is find out what is your energy feel like to you? What is your psychic power look like? Let's help you figure out what those tools are in your toolbox and how you are different from everybody. Let's help you then figure out how to use those tools. This isn't stamping out clones. This is making you fully develop yourself as an individual. And, and, and even though we're all different, we stand together, we're even more powerful because you combine it. That's kind of the concept we're, we're working with here. So uh, it's, I mean, some of the, the greatest things that we've got in this order come from people that walked in the door that, that really didn't know what they were doing and had something that they found that worked for them. And we tried it and went, wow, that's good. Let's do that for everybody. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that's what it's about. It's helping people walk their path, not having them walk your own. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I find that, and, you know, I'm really good at uh, going off on random tangents. But in, uh, in our society, there's so much of, like, uh, mob mentality going on, mm -hmm. right? And it's almost like we're forgetting what we want and who we are. There, in, in Abrahamic religions, they have this concept of thou shalt not. Okay, there's the list. And then we, we are not supposed to do the things on that list. But when we do, when... Then we go and apologize and, and put some money in the, the tray and then go up with a big smile on your face because it's all fixed and then we screw up over and over and over. And there's no responsibility. What we do in the pagan community, at least my community, is I will not. I take personal responsibility for myself. I realize that I leave footprints on this world. I own that and if it affects someone adversely, I fix that. You know, it, you don't need a list 
the list is training wheels. You know, I, I don't steal things because I know that hurts other people. That's why, not because there's some lists somewhere, right? So it's just a different way of, of looking at the world. And I, I would suggest that that is the way that the pagan community works, or at least it should, you know, because um, we're, we're not a revealed religion. We don't have scripture, you know. We are more, more uh, a religion like Buddhism, a practice rather than creed, right? So... That's, that's definitely, like, and, and this is all very new for me, because uh, I grew up in a family that was, I'd say, uh, um, not atheist, but agnostic. And it was kind of open, but Christianity was always in the background, right? And I, I see this and I hear it's like, okay, this one is all about, you know, be who you are, not be who we are. Yes. Right? I, I'm always trying to get people to see that there are other perspectives out there. I mean, one of the things we, we should have learned by now is that diversity is a very valuable thing because if you have a whole room of people who all look the same, they will probably think that they all think the same and they will, the conversation will only get to a certain level because you're assuming things about the other people in the room. If you have a room full of people from all kinds of different cultures, then people are more likely to go a little bit further and describe things because they're thinking, well, you may not understand what I'm talking about. I ran into this in interfaith work. You know, one of the people that I worked with was uh, George, an Anglican minister. And he says, you know what I like about this interfaith stuff? Your perspective illuminates mine. So diverse groups tend to be much more innovative and much more productive because they're viewing this guy or, or, or whatever in a different way. I do this all the time in my, my work at the observatory, for example. You look up at the sky and there is the constellation Orion and off to the right there's that triangle which is the head of Taurus the bull and then there's that little group of stars which is the Pleiades cluster, unless you're Mari. Because if you're Mari, the Pleiades is the foam at the front of the boat and that triangle is the sail uh, of the perception. The three stars in the belt are the glowing waters going off the back of the boat. I mean they're serious navigators that went across thousands of miles of open ocean using star lines when my ancestors were afraid to leave the coastline because the <laughs> world was flat, you know? So I mean, that's why it's important. One of my best examples is, is you know, there were 7,000 world languages and probably in my grandchildren's lifetime, half of them will have disappeared. And people will think, well, why is that important? Because like, thank you in English is thank you. And any other languages, I mean, but languages are built on culture. So to go back to the Mari, Iwi for a minute, the Mari nations, they have a word, Venua, which means land, terrain, ground, place, and placenta. Let that thing sink in for a second. The land that gives me birth, the land I am connected to, you can go on and on. That's what you lose, you know. So being different should be accepted. Being different should be norm the normal way of things we should all just get used to the idea that we're different i mean you know ideas about we should be male or female only mm. a certain percentage of the population is born with both and the percentage is the same percentage as the number of people that have red hair i mean it's it's pretty common so getting the idea that it's one or the other, it's not. You know, a lot of the assumptions we make about the, the world around us are incorrect and we need to 
adjust that, you know? It's interesting that, that um, for example, you know, in, in view of the, the protests that are happening, Black Lives Matter and, and that, I mean, somebody asked me, how did you being white and your white privilege affect your ability to defend yourself as a, the first pagan to come out? And I went, you know what? That's interesting. Mm. You know, if I'd been black and the first pagan to go out, would that, how, how much of a difference would that have made? You know, and I don't know for sure, but it's, it's that sort of thing we need to uh, pay attention to, you know? Well, so much of it is, uh, like you say, is conformity. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, particularly with, with language, right? We, we want people to abide by these rules. And I, a friend of mine, uh, Maxie, I just did a podcast with her. She was 23, with, you know, was identified as a male until she was 23, and then realized, okay, hold on, I'm living, I'm conforming to what other people think gender is. But why does it matter what other people think I am? This is who I am. Yeah, doesn't matter. Right? I mean, this is part of that process of identifying who you are. You know, I mean, Bruce Lee, everybody knows who Bruce Lee is, martial artist, this actor. He wrote this book called Tao Chi Kundo. Basically, he said in there, okay, you can go to a particular school, dojo, and you can study what they do. And some of the things you probably will find you do very well. And some things probably won't work so well. And you can knock yourself out for the rest of your life trying to make your body do things you can't do. Or you can go, you know what? Thanks. I got everything I need. Go to the next school and find the things that work. Go to the next school and find. And then you have your own style, which works for you. And maybe nobody else, but who cares? It works for you. And it doesn't have to have a name. You know, um, that's good. I mean, it, the, 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 to go back to the interfaith thing for, for a second, you were talking about you were raised agnostic. I mean, it, do you need a, a religious belief? Does it matter which re religious belief it is really? I mean, honestly, if it works for you, I'm good. You know, I, I, I don't proselytize. You take 10 different people, put them in the field, and they all witness the same thing. One sees Jesus, one sees Mary, one sees Azuli, one sees a UFO, you know. <laughs> and at least one person's going, what are you all looking at? Yeah. We're all looking at the same thing. It's, it's that ancient story about the elephant with the three blind scholars touching different parts of it. It's, I see it's the tail, same yeah. thing, but they're all describing something right. different, right? Right. So, well, there's, there's something in human nature to make meaning, yeah. right? Uh, was it, was it um, Dr. Frankel? And he said that we have to find purpose in things. Yeah. Right? And even, even the atheist, uh, I, I mean, to me, I just, like, for example, I look at the sky and I'm like, dude, there is just no way we're it. It's just too massive. And that to me makes sense. I can't see how anything, anybody can answer the questions. The fact is, is that there are questions to be answered, mm -hmm. right? But we're this big, you know, we're like not even a speck of sand on the beach and ocean that is the universe, right? So here we are theorizing, oh yeah, this is what it is, but we have no idea. It's a big universe. If I take a grain of sand and hold it at arm's length against the sky, I'm covering 10,000 galaxies. Yeah. Like no. our minds can't fathom. Brilliant stars. It's, it's yeah. So, yeah, I mean, here, here I go again, going off, off, 
off on a tangent, but I'm so, I'm so glad to hear that you're, you're into astronomy. It's, it's interesting that, that decades ago, people figured science will eliminate religion. Well, it doesn't really. Right. Because spirituality is another thing entirely. It's about the inspirational stuff, right? And the two can work together. I mean... 100%. Yeah. So, anyway. I mean, we have a bad habit of trying to take whatever it is out there and make an image of it that looks just like us. I mean, we, all of us have been creating gods and goddesses for centuries you know and some lasted and some didn't but i mean one of the first exercises we do in the order of paladins is say okay once you identify something in your life that you're having a problem with and then create a deity to fix it mm. got that one from amber k it's a great exercise because it shows you that this is something we are creating it's a symbiotic relationship while it's creating us you know it's it's tied together so it's it's part of your identity so embrace it go with it you know what have you ever seen that show uh, american gods no I okay so it's it's pretty interesting but it's it talks about zeitgeist and yes. as we exist our gods or whatever are kind of we're we're they're malleable we're changing them mm -hmm. like there's a god of internet kind of idea right yep. and it's like we have to Again, it, it goes to like, are we minimizing ourselves or are we making ourselves bigger than, than we really are? Like what's, what's going on here with, with that? You know, you know uh, Terry Pratchett, who is one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book called Small Gods, which is all about this. You know, it's, 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 it's hysterical, but I mean, it, there's really some serious stuff in there and it's, it, it is, something that that some people need but i mean here's the, the 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 thing if if you're a member of my order you understand very clearly that if something is wrong in your life you don't go please make this good for me you go and you say the gods work in the world with these right and they see the world through these so this is my responsibility they may inspire you to find the path or the method to do the work but you do the work right because there is this connection. It's part of you. I mean, Doreen Valiente said, if you are wasting your time looking out there trying to find it, you're wasting your time because it's in here. It's been here all along. You know, right. that's the point. We are all divine. The divine is not separate from us. I mean, in the Abrahamic world, it is the God is the potter in the world is the pot. He made it. He put it down. He walked away. The divine left with him. If you want it, you got to go out there. But with us, the divine is the cloak that the that we put on so it can be seen. Okay, it's everything. And if you want to really be serious about the environment and everything else, this is where you come from because it means everything is divine. So I have to respect everyone and everything. You have to take that as part right. of that responsibility thing, right? Yeah, and and, and that that taps into that the the Wiccan read. Yes. Which again, I'm, I'm very new to this, but mm -hmm. from what I'm understanding is that, like you said, Wiccan is almost like, it's more like Buddhism than it is like Christianity or Judaism mm -hmm. or any of the Abrahamic religions that you said, which would you say that Wiccanism or, or paganism is growing more yes. than ever now? Oh, yeah. You look what? at the census 
uh, statistics over the last couple of decades, and it is the fastest growing religious community there is. Wow. And I'm including all pagan stuff, right? right? You know, Druid and Asa Druid and all of that stuff. But um, oh, so pag- yeah. paganism is the grow- fastest growing religion. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason for that is because the Abrahamic religions have a have had a bad habit of being very paternalistic and excluding women, and mm. we don't. So suddenly, there's a place for people, right? I mean, there are exceptions within that part of the world, but but you know, this this is this is part of it, and. Um, Part of it is if you are working with something like scripture uh, or the Torah or whatever you would like to, to work with, you know, um, you, you are using stuff that it dates back millennia, you know, thousands of years and applies to society then and doesn't necessarily apply to society now because we have evolved, right? So you can get stuck with, with those kind of things. I mean, some people don't, but, but far too many people do. You know, this is the way it was back in the year zero. Well, we're 2,000 years beyond that, thanks. Doesn't work that way anymore. This isn't the world we're in, so, you know, let's get on with it. It's, it's um, being a religion to practice like this makes you more responsive to that world around you because you're connected to it and you're trying to work with it you know, I think. Well, that's, that's a great point is uh, I, I, I've been reading a lot about um, the format, the afterlife and religion and the book of revelations is it, it's talking about the Roman empire, right? But then we read this after, you know, the fall of the Roman empire and we're making all these weird connections that just make it work. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's just like, it's almost like we're forcing, we're forcing connections here. Right. And, and that's why I, I love what you say about every religions all have great points like Taoism. Um, you know, of course my dog doesn't keep scratching. Oh yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm using a, a different office because I have a 10 month old at, at our house and oh. a dog and there's a lot of action. You know, and this microphone picks up on things. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. But I find that if we can take things in, like, we need to open our minds. Yeah. Right? Because we're at a crossroads. We can either have an open mind or we can shut our minds down. Right? Because there's so much information that's available now on the internet that it almost seems like there's two camps. There's this camp and there's that camp. And all the information is ciphered between those two areas, right? You tend to have people get tribal because they're, yeah. they're, they're feeling threatened and, okay, I want some people to stand around me and, and I'll be comfortable again. I mean, I ran into this when I was doing the anti-defamation work. You're going out there and standing in front of these people from this tribe and you, they see you as a threat and you are deliberately standing in front of them and saying, this is who I really am. Ask me anything. And the most common thing that I got after one of those was people coming up to me and saying, you're not what I expected while I'm there. Yeah. You know, I mean, as long as you can develop that communication between, I mean, 
Honestly, if if you stood outside of a church, name one Lutheran, Catholic, I don't care, and, and Methodist, and you stopped people coming out the front, 10 people, let's say, and said, define your particular Christian religion, you will get 10 different answers. Because they're not all the same. It isn't as, as, as uniform as it looks, you know, in any group, including ours. So... Um, you 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 know it, it only goes so far you know so if you, you accept that then then things tend to work a whole lot better i mean going again that interfaith thing you're sitting there at a table with a a catholic and an anglican and a jane and a, and a palestinian muslim and a wiccan and you know all these different and we're and we're doing fine you know yeah we're communicating it it doesn't have to be that way we can understand other people's viewpoints and people will tend to bring people around them that make them feel comfortable because they're a little more, they look a little more like me, you know? I mean, most of the places I had um, the most pushback, the most difficulty when I was out there doing this, these teaching things were in small towns where everyone was trying to be the same. We're all right. white, we're all this, we're, we're all Republican or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not in big cities where they were more used to seeing different people and they were more comfortable with the diversity because they saw that it wasn't a threat you know that's such that's such a great point because uh going back to the conversation i had with maxi he or excuse me she lives in vancouver and when she was transitioning she was happier to be there than to be where where i because we grew up in cloverdale than here and it's almost like what what maxi had said is that People are just too busy doing their own thing, right, in the cities. And that's why, historically speaking, you know, cities have been these places of, of cultural diversity, right? Mm -hmm. is, and, is, that, is that still a thing? Like, you I know? think it is. Um, you know, I, I went back in 1994, there was a homicide in West Memphis. And I went down there, I was invited down with the Unitarian Church to talk to people because they were afraid there was going to be vigilantes and all kinds of stuff. This was during the satanic panic. And, you know, I did right. the first public circle in Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, like a, just over 100, I think it was about 120 people. And they were afraid the police might show up. And at the end of the thing, I said, oh, by the way, before I go, these two people standing beside me are cops. Start talking. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, the next day I was in Jonesboro, which is Fort God, and I had the entire Jonesboro Police Department between me and the screaming crowd and I had body armor on and, and bodyguards. West, I'm in Memphis at the U university, so the faculty of psychology, big auditorium, 300 people, and it's civilized. Mm. You know? And then the next morning, I'm at the Memphis Police Department, Police Academy, uh, with some elders of the, the Wiccan community, and um, talking to 60 police officers about this is who we are, and this is what we do, and this is, you know, where you can go if you need information. And again, I had people come up to me saying, okay, if you can do it, I can do it. Three of them, actually. But I also, that day, that morning, before we went, I'm having breakfast with these elders, and there's an 18-year-old at the table, Charles Taylor, and he says to me, I want to be a police officer. And I went, okay. 
And he says, I have a problem. And I went, what's that? He says, I'm already open about my wicked beliefs. And I said, you're going to take these papers. You're going to go to the recruiting sergeant. You're going to put them on the desk say, this is the information on my religion. If you need any more, there's the people to contact. This is not an issue. Let's talk about my job. Six years later, out of the blue, I get a phone call. And it's Charles Taylor. He says, do you remember me? I said, yes, I do. How did it go? And he goes, I'm a training surgeon, right? And then in 2012, I go down to Memphis where the Aquarian Tabernacle Church, who are the people I was with then, are having this big festival. And back then, 94, it was like two dozen people. Now it's 12 churches, if temples, whatever you want to call them, 250 people, three generations in a state park doing this festival. And the guy that picks me up at the airport is the chief of the Burlington Railway Police, Charles Taylor. That's how far we grow. Okay, right. we're asking that question earlier, you know. Um, it's, it's, but I mean, it was an illustration, you know, you go from mid, middle town where people are kind of, I'm not sure about this, to small town where they're just terrified to like major city world, yeah, okay, so these people are different. What's the big deal? That That's always been my experience. It's if, you ex if you've got someone who is a white supremacist, extremist, mm -hmm. neo-Nazi, and you want to, to, to work on that, sit them down in front of a Muslim. They talk. Yeah. Because they will suddenly realize, not so different, really. Well, that's how you do it. That's that's the and, and and that's a really good point. And I apologize if I mentioned this earlier, but there's a thing called confirmation bias. Yeah. Right. We're all in the same room, and it's all you know white men, whatever. Right. And we're all talking about the same thing, but then somebody else comes in, and we're like, oh, oh, can't say that, right? But I, yeah. Years ago, uh, Bob Larson, radio evangelist author, one of the people that was putting out all this misinformation about the satanic panic back in the day, had a big gathering in Vancouver at Glad Tidings Temple. He had been out in the Fraser Valley uh, the night before, Chilliwack, I think it was. And he, he had somebody in the audience saying, I'm, I'm a witch, and he then, you know, converted him or whatever he did. So here you are in this auditorium that sees uh -huh. 8,000 people. I'm in the back row, okay, with my wife. I'm wearing a great big High Plains Church of Wicca t-shirt with a giant pentagram on it. And um, there's a big area right in front of the stage, which is empty reserve seating. And just before he comes in, 30 people come and sit down there. And the people who start challenging him are shills in that group. I mean, stage. <laughs> yeah. And then he mentions the night before, this witch challenged me. And I bet there isn't a witch in the crowd that wants to challenge me. And my wife elbows me and goes, go on, good. And I walk, start walking down. He can see the pentagram. I mean, it's this big. And they all, let's introduce some people. Let's hope that, you know, and I get to the bottom and here's the usher. And he's saying, he's busy. And like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, yeah. I'll wait. So he realizes I ain't going anywhere. He finally gets me on the stage. And he said, who are you? And I say, you know, this is who I am, and I'm a police officer. He says, ladies and gentlemen, um, the enemy is among us. He's Satan. He's wearing a badge. And I'm like, no, don't say that. You know what wicked is. You know that I love you and every person in this room. <laughs> Silent. You could hear a pin drop. And he kept trying to get me angry, and it just wasn't working. And I kept challenging, you know, fact-checking him. You know that movie you did the other day? It was all police officers. There was only one police officer in that movie, and he recanted. You know, I mean, finally he said, 
You're the nicest witch I ever met, California stage. Yeah, yeah. And on my way back right. up to the seat, 12 people stopped me and said, I hope you don't think that I'm like him. And I went, what are you doing here then? Mm. And the last one was a young lad. He must have been in his teens. And he said, are you really a cop? And I brought up my badge. He said, you know, before I met Bob Larson, I had never heard of Satan, but he turned me on to him. <laughs> so is, is that where Satan, because like I love heavy metal and my dad showed me Doom, the game Doom when I was four. Bit of a mistake because after that I was like, yeah, right? Okay. And, and, this, and this iconography of like demons and stuff, I, I think is awesome. Is that where this, is that where this kind of came from? Like he kind of created it? Is a personification of evil, Satan, devil, the devil, whatever. Right. You know, if, if if you're going to do this thing where the divine is out there and all power is out there, then you end up with ceremonial magic, which is I have no power. It's all up there with angels or down there with demons. And what I have to do is do things to make them like evoke or invoke to get them to force them to do things for me with secret words and you know all this stuff. And um, you've got this whole thing that grows out of that. I mean, magic, three words, energy, follows, intent, period. If you get that, you can do anything. It, wow. You are the floodgate, the valve. The energy's all around you. You let it flow through you. You don't need, the, I mean, the divine permeates everything, including me. So why would I need to? Power right. is not there. It's here. It's part of that thing I said right at the up front. Do what thou wilt. I have power. Let's use it responsibly. You know, so um, it's a different way of looking at things. I mean, I know a lot of people and being you have fun with games like that. That's fine. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's cool. It's fiction. All right. That's yeah. But but you know, trying to uh, creating a personification of evil means that I can blame my faults on him. He's tempting me. No, Going to these idolatries. He's not yeah. taking responsibility, right? Right. So it's an easy out. And and a way to try and threaten you. You do you do the wrong thing and then you know he's gonna get you. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well no. that's that's a good point too. It's like again, you know, I studied uh, the Holocaust in university. And you talk about Goebbels and how, who was the propaganda minister for uh, Hitler. And um, he talked about how it just, just like the masses. And if you appeal to their emotions, you can make them follow anything. And I'm looking at kind of what's going on today, you know, with the internet mm -hmm. and like stuff going on there. And I'm like, okay, mm. how do we break from this? Because because I, I, I feel like I've broken from it because I just limit it. But you can easily get yourself wrapped into it. So how do we break away? We have to do what you see people doing um, as a result of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and all others that stand up and speak out, speak your truth. I mean, you have to. You can't just let people get away with that there always will be a small when i was talking about the satanic panic which was created by a very small group of very motivated and vocal people and they gave the impression that the whole world is behind us not true there are very small 
vocal group, and they still are. We're talking about neo-Nazis, and we're talking about people who support Donald Trump. You know, it's a very small group of people, and we outnumber them. And if we all stand up and be counted, we can take them down. And people keep going on about the NRA. The NRA is very small. And if people stood up and were counted, you could take them down tomorrow. It's really, Whoa. they're very, very Because you're re-diverting the energy, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, push back. It's, it's, I'm not talking about being violent. Of course, know? yeah. But, but stand up and be, be candid. I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely important to, for people to register and vote. You know, I mean, that was part of what created the, the, the problem down there. People went, oh, what's the point? There is a point. I mean, it, you have to be part democracy means you have to take responsibility and you have to play your part in it or that's when you you lose democracy when you stop doing that you know it's something that everybody has to play a part in though i'm not saying everybody has to be part of you know uh, the government but you have to vote to put the people in there that you are confident that are going to be able to have a serious conversation and and do stuff you know and if I, I have no patience with people that don't vote because it's your responsibility. It's something you have to do. Yeah. Well, and they've said that, you know, when you don't vote, that's, you know, essentially two votes for the party that you least want to get in. No action is an action. Let's be clear. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I've been reading a lot more because, again, going back to my own kind of cultural upbringings and background, I need to be aware that I see the world through my lens. And I started reading this book called uh, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Phenomenal book. And it talks about democracy and how, you know, if democracy is by or by the people or for the people is, you know, the, the direct translation by the people. Yeah. Yeah. But it's for so long, it's, it's only represented the, the majority group. Right. And that, and that does need to change because sort of what's going on here is it's, it's systemic. What's happening is that it's the same stuff being recycled. Right. So. And, and as a old white guy, here I am, you know, I mean, it is not the responsibility of these minority communities um, to do the light work, to do the heavy lifting we created this, we need to take responsibility for it and fix it. And I am, you know, I mean, like I mentioned right at the very beginning, they're currently working on a training video to help people in the 2SLGTBQ plus community uh, be accepted in STEM sciences. You know, I mean, um, that's the kind of thing we ought to be doing. We need to break down these barriers. We need to socialize these norms and we need to, tear down this institutionalized racism that um, is causing that problem. And it's, I mean, long overdue, but, but, you know, it's something we all have to work on. But it's, if there is um, a uh, YouTube channel you can get, which is called Serious uh, Conversation, Difficult Conversations with a Black Man, Mr. Acho. where and that's what we have to do is have those difficult conversations you know it's 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 sitting down and 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 exploring each other's perspectives 
and I keep going back to this, this is this interface stuff, you know, it's sitting down and, and, and talking to people and realizing we are not so different. We just have different ways of describing what we see, you know, and, and we need to be working together on this stuff. Because, well, this paddle I've got here, this is the CIA reconciliation movement. And, and um, here on the Sunshine Coast, where I am, there is a, um, the, the Seashell First Nation has now got uh, one of their members carving a reconciliation total pole. And what they do on Saturday mornings, or at least before the pandemic happened, is they were allowing the public to come in, listen to Andy as he described what he was doing in his work, he had a scale model of the pole he was using as his talking stick, and then you helped him carve it. And um, You helped him carve it? Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and the, you were part of the reconciliation. That's exactly. And, and on the back of this, it says, in this, we journey together. Mm. And the mess, this is a paddle, like for First Nations canoe. And the, the message is we're all in the same boat. Yeah. So let's all paddle together. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Well, and, and you know, here, because I, I live in uh, Surrey. Mm-hmm. You know, so not far from you. I used to live in Surrey. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, where you are is a beautiful place in Seashell. It is. Um, but we look at, you know, at the United States and the Black Lives Matter movement and we're like, oh, you know, shame on them. But going back to this, the truth of reconciliation, the residential schools, the, you know, the, oh, yeah. the, the, the creation of Chinatown, all these things. We have our black own. communities in Nova Scotia. We have black people here. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I I have a friend of mine, who he he's black, and he says, "Dude, not a, a day goes by I'm not reminded that I'm different." And I didn't realize that I was part of this majority, this uh, you know power dynamic, until I went to Barbados, where he lives, or excuse me, where his background is. He lives here, right? And uh, I got to experience his culture and realize okay right because everything that i had done before was so sanitized right like i'd go to hawaii and i'd stay in a you know essentially a resort i didn't really experience the culture and whatever i did was very again sanitized and controlled if you will um but when i went to barbados and you know i had to find my way around there i i actually understood better who i was yeah and i think that that goes back to this conversation of we don't know who we are when we're talking to the same people. Years ago, I went to New Orleans and they have voodoo for the tourists. Right. Or you can actually meet a voodoo thing, you know, and, and you figure out what it really is. And it's not like this other stuff. You know, I mean, it's, it's um, making an effort to reach beyond the, the approved version and, and actually talking to the people and, and figuring out you know, what's really going on. I mean, that was a conversation that I constantly had to engage in when I was in offices of Avalon because um, that's what you were trying to do is get other people to understand your perspective. And I mean, I'm very proud of what, what we did in offices of Avalon. You remember Hurricane Katrina mm. and it devastated things in that area. And everybody was waiting for FEMA to get in there and bring the first supplies in and and, and get people back on their feet. You know who was the first organization in Prentice, Mississippi with supplies? Officers of Avalon. Whoa. 
In two weeks, we put together $30,000, rented a truck, got supplies, showed up at the barricades where they were saying, you can't come in. And we flashed in and said, yeah. We're going in. We're going in, you know. The, the Los Angeles Police Department got all of their spare uniforms and sent them to replace those for the, the New Orleans police. We paid for that. Officers of Avalon. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing you can do in the pagan community. You know, that's the sort of, one of the, the, the principal complaints that I had leveled at me back in the 80s and 90s was, well, my church has a food kitchen and all these other things that we do for disadvantaged people. And what do you do? Well, we do pretty amazing stuff now. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't yeah. do that anymore. Uh, you know, it's a, it's part of it is, and I'm going back to the, what I said about service, you know, it's serving yourself, taking care of yourself and your family and your tribe, your, your kith and kin, you know, and the world, you know, there are all kinds of different levels. And I mean, to quote Mother Teresa, you don't have to feed a hundred people, just feed the person in front of you. You know, that's, if everybody starts thinking like that, we get away from the tribalism of maybe the whole world is one big tribe. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Well, and and tell me what you think about this, but, you know, maybe this is me being, uh, you know, stubborn in my own beliefs, but I just, I see so much selfishness and egoism. Like the ego is just, it's hijacking, it's hijacking our systems. We think we're so special, we're so important, and we're forgetting about the world, like you say, right in front of our faces. And the feedback loop to that is that we continue to feel negative. Because we're in such a negative headspace, it's like a, you, you mentioned a feedback loop earlier. Right back to what we said in the beginning, which yeah. is what you put out there, you get back, pay it forward. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to start feeling good, start putting stuff out there, anything at all. It doesn't have to be. I mean, one of the things that, that we inherited from this Abrahamic community is like, okay, I'm in desperate need. I need stuff. Please send me something. Right. You know, wish for prosperity instead of work for prosperity. Right. You know, because the gods work in the world with these hands. And I mean, every single person I know that, that grasps that has had prosperity. It works. And, and it shows up in the most unexpected ways. You just got to do it enough that you figure out that this is the way it works. And so you begin to trust it. I mean, um, yeah, it's very easy. There's a lot of people I'm looking at the U S president right now, who is very definitely a narcissist. Okay? Yeah. It's all about me. He has no empathy because he's a sociopath, no empathy for anybody else, you know? Um, and there are some people who unfortunately you can find it in the, the DSM-5, that, that manual mm. describes all the psychiatric disorders. Some people are built that way. That's the way they are, you know. But most of us are quite capable of having empathy to other people. We can, we can, we can understand other people's pain. That's the beginning of it, you know. I mean, um, where I am in Sandy Hook here, everybody helps everybody else. Mm. We're, we're constantly trying to support one another and do you know community things and that you will everybody no matter what belief they are down in top park down the hill from where i live and we're singing yule carols and christmas carols and sharing hot chocolate i mean you don't have to have a celebration that's exclusive to your own tribe or religion or whatever you can share it with everybody else because they all have their own versions of it you know i mean 
and then they get used to the idea that we're not all so different you know it's right um it's a matter of of trying if you take responsibility for yourself it's easy to do this because you can see how this works if, if you if you hope that somebody else is going to take that from you mm. that's when you're going to run the difficulty in our order we have different levels right and when you become a master put on the black belt it's very easy to get the impression okay i'm the master now i'm the i'm in charge of things nothing else is going to happen to me and what you forget if you run into that is when you step into the dojo and you put on that black belt, you are announcing to everybody in the room, I am prepared to be tested. Mm. And that's the way the world really is. It is a constant struggle against things, but you can let yourself be blown around like a leaf in the right. wind or a stick floating in the, in the current. Or you can recognize there are some things in the world I can't control, but I'm in this boat and I'm going to grab the, I'm going to set the sails and I'm going to grab the, til the tiller and I'm going to steer this course. You have control. Yeah. So, ownership. Ownership. Yeah. Now you, you give me a good thought. I just got to pause it for a moment though. Okay. Megan stuff now, like, like how new are we talking here? Uh, I've been doing this for 51 years. So, you know. Well, okay, so how, how this all started out <clears throat> is uh, the name of the podcast is I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, it started in January, and it's just like all these things that I've so long held on to, how do I know that that's really the way it is? And I heard this, do you know who Bill Burr is, the comedian? Yes. So he told this joke about uh, Scientology or something like that, and he was like, you know, this Scientology is so crazy. And then he's like, well, hold on, wait a second. I believe in a talking burning bush and all this stuff. And he's like, so I was at a crossroads. I could either double down on what I believe or I could realize that, okay, hold on. Maybe this isn't serving me. But the principal mistake that I think people in the Abrahamic community tend to make is that what they've got is par parables. They're stories meant to illustrate things in life. They're not meant to be literal history. Mm -hmm. They're just a story illustrating a situation and, and, and ways to, to deal with it. If you start treating it like history, that's where you're going to run into problem. You know, yeah. I mean, the, this book is the word of God. Which one of the 349 translations are we talking about? They're all different. Well, you know, I mean, the Catholic and the Protestant Bibles have a different number of books. I mean, like, and, 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 and it's a, it, actually, it's a word of a whole bunch of old guys, old white guys, you know? Yeah. And if you don't think that they had some sort of a hidden agenda for the way that oh, they did down, right. I guarantee you they, you know. they did. I mean, it's, it's, it's hysterical when you see some of these people treating Jesus as if he was a white guy, because I guarantee you yeah. he wasn't. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, um, the, the people that I respect the most within that community, and I, I've mentioned in, in interview work, I, I worked with them, are people that recognize that's just stories. Let's mm -hmm. talk about the actual belief system and, you know, um, and, and, and how that can work for us in the world. And, and I want to serve people using that system. What does that look like? You know, I mean, uh, are all of the assumptions I've got correct? You know, it, 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 are they things that need to change given that we are now 2000 years on and the world isn't the same, you know? 
as I was saying earlier. So, I mean, uh, one of the big mistakes that uh, the pagan community could make is we could say, you know, um, this is the way it will always be, you know, but it won't, you know, because the world changes. Um, you know, one of the things that, 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 that Gardner did when he created the Wiccan religion is he, he started to create this idea that this has been passed down for centuries. Well, no, you invented it in 1935, but that's okay. Because truth is the truth whether you discovered it five minutes ago or five centuries ago. It, it's a logical fallacy to assume that older means it's more truthful. It's just garbage. You know, what the, the, the test has to be does this help you live your life? Is this something that helps you understand the world around you and make you functional and functional with other people, right? And so you, you can't insist that there's a one-size-fits-all religion because there just isn't because everyone's different, right? Right. Um, you have to accept that other people have other things that work for them, which is not the same as what you've got. But if it works, then hey... Yeah, support you in that, right? As long as it's not running over what I'm doing, we we can get along. It's gonna work. So. Here's here's why here's why I love this and this whole project that I started is that I'm seeing the 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 ribosomes of it all, right? Like in grass, you have each little different individual plane of grass, but underneath is a root system that connects them all. And you know we've talked about on this podcast race, culture, gender. Wiccanism, all these things. And it's realizing that they're separate. They're, they're, they're their own independent things, but they're also, that's the beauty in the bigger picture, right? Is that part of the system is that each, each individual cog is just as important as that other individual cog. Yeah. But yeah, for so terribly. long, it's just been this one big cog, right? Going around. Together we are, we were, we're always more powerful. I mean, I saw an interesting um, video the other day by a, um, a, a gay, a, a trans performer and comedian, um, Amru al Qadi, and, and he was, he's in this really outrageous, you know, drag queen outfit, and he's talking about quantum physics. Right. Thing. Okay, let me get this straight. We have, we're supposed to have males and females and there's not supposed to be, you know, we, we're supposed to know which is which. Does anyone here remember the double slit experiment? Where you're supposed to have an electron that goes through one or the other, but it doesn't. It behaves like a wave and we don't know really where it is unless we observe it. I mean, you're telling me that it's as simple as that? Binary, it doesn't work that way. And I mean, there's all kinds of really wonderful perspectives like that, you know, that you can get. Uh, by talking to people from these different communities, but it, it, it sort of illustrates the fact that we aren't as fixed and we evolve. I'm not the person I was mm. when I was 18, 100%. 30, you know, I mean, yeah. I, it, one of the things that um, we try to encourage the, the members of the Order of Paladins to, to accept is that you are always learning. You're always a student. You never stop. You know, you always are, mastery is a, is a ongoing project. You can't say, okay, I got the black belt, I have a master now. It means I am now prepared to continue working on this and, and keep it, because the moment you stop working on it, that's when you lose it. It's 100%. Not, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a, a school counselor, and before that, I was a teacher. And, 
you know, if you ever want to become a really shitty teacher is you stop being a student. Right. And Socrates said that, you know, he, he just, he kept questioning people, you know, he, he never gave people answers. He just gave people questions, which I find so the basis is like right at the temple of Delphi there. Know thyself. Yeah. yeah. And you're Which, constantly learning who you are. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, it's something I partially developed from my, my study of traditional Asian martial arts. It's not about learning how to do this. Mm. Stuff. It's doing that inventory. It's learning who you are and being confident in that. You know, it's, it's, that's the, the key to the thing. It's, it's self-examination. Well, okay. So, so, you know, just being completely honest with myself, something I have always struggled with is my temper, right? Okay. I, I'm always like an easygoing guy, but then, you know, certain things happen and it's like, I can feel it. Like, if, first of all, I got to do an inventory. Did I get a good night's sleep? That's huge, obviously. You know, nutrition, training, all this stuff. If I don't take that inventory, I got to realize that, oh my goodness, I'm a ticking time bomb. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Because here's something we teach in the order. If I turn to a person and say, give me a description of yourself. And I'll take out a piece of paper and make two lists. Here's my strengths. Here's my weaknesses. And if they hand me something like that, I will ball it up, throw it in the garbage, give them a new piece of paper and say, start again. Okay. One list and the title of that list is characteristics because every single thing you are is useful if used in the right context right anger can motivate you to do amazing things it can also get you in trouble and you know if you're stuck has. that can be a problem or it can get you across the finish line get used to right. be comfortable with everything you are whatever it is because everything you are has a place where you can use it for good you know to, to make things work for you so so throw out the idea that you have strengths and weaknesses it's just you i'm using this the right way you know does that make sense i i, I agree with that and there's this book that i'm reading uh by carol dweck it's called mindset and it talks mm -hmm. about a growth mindset uh yeah. or a fixed mindset mm -hmm. and so much of our society has been certainly western uh eurocentric society and education has been based on a fixed mindset, meaning that, you know, talent is just something you're born with. It's not something that you cultivate. And that's not true. In fact, we know that if we, like you say, we look at what we are and we work towards what we want to be, that's where we start to find our happiness. But we just accept that this is who I am and I'm just gonna feel this way forever. Well, you're gonna keep feeling that way forever. It's, it's reaching for your power. It's taking responsibility. I could sound like a broken record, I'm sure, but that's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's it. You know, like it, it is a matter of creating your own reality. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what magic is all about, you know, and, and recognizing that the, the first corollary is be careful what you ask for because you'll get it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, how you know how true and going back to to what you're saying about astronomy and the earth yeah so covid is going on yeah. what you know is the earth trying to tell us something what what are your thoughts 
I mean, we have a system here, okay, that if you put it out of balance, is going to have consequences, you know. Um, it can deal with a certain level of this stuff, but if we push it beyond the level, we, we fail, fail to take responsibility for that, then there are consequences, you know, it will come back and bite us. People talk of the Gaia effect. I get that, but I mean, um, I, you, you, there is a tendency to sort of create this deity out there that might be watching over us that might fix it. And it's not that, we gotta take responsibility for this. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I got the electric car, but I've had people come to me saying, you know, well, but, 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 where does the electricity come from? I bet it came from a, you know, like, like a, a, a coal powered power plant. Well, no, it's hydroelectric actually. <laughs> Solar panels, you know, you, you can take all kinds of actions right now to to take responsibility. But but one of the problems is we have people living in cities mm. where they're surrounded by glass and concrete and steel. Mm. And um, they have no connection to, to nature at all. I mean, they walk to a supermarket. They don't understand where that food came from and what was involved in, you know, creating it. Uh, at one time in our, our civilized development we actually had to do animal husbandry and you know kill animals and keep some for further breeding and 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 cure meats and 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 grow crops and actually go out there and with a scythe and do stuff and we don't do that anymore we it just magically appears on the shelves in the supermarket and so i mean one of the things i do constantly is encourage people to go out into you know the world go out there and experience this stuff in in japan they they actually prescribe nature bathing go out into the woods and walk because you're exposed to all these aerosols and things that yes. have an effect on you a positive effect you know um it's amazing how many people will come up to the sunshine coast where i am having come from the lower mainland where they have this light blue sky and they will look up at the sky and go what is that glowing cloud in the sky <laughs> your home wow. the back in 1994 there was a major earthquake in northridge california in the middle of the night which knocked out the power and in the first half hour they had over a thousand calls people calling what's that globe in the sky <laughs> nuclear reactor blob it's a milky way <laughs> but they didn't know they can't see it and and, and when you think about it, the inspiration of looking out the window with glass and concrete mm. and steel and a reflection of artificial lights is quite a bit different from looking straight up into the sky out to the edge of the observable universe, which is what our ancestors had, right? Yeah. So I, I encourage people to go out there and experience that because you, you can see your connection more easily that way. And it's easier to respect something if you think that everything around you is divine, which is one of the places I started today. but but also if you are actually visibly connected to it. Grow a vegetable garden. I mean, that's something that's happening in a pandemic. There was this rush on seed because people went, oh, I'm going to be isolated. I'm gonna to have to grow my own food. I've never done this before. And they're starting to figure out how this actually works, you know? Um, and, but I have a vegetable garden, you know, and I make my own bread. Actually, I, I need to go relatively soon because I have to go take it out of the oven and, and fire it up and actually bake it because it's proofing right now. But I mean, you, I used to go 
I used to work in a dispatch center, police dispatch center. You've got a room the size of a, an auditorium in a, in a, or a gymnasium in a high school. And 140 people are all for the flat screens. And the very first 45 minutes of the shift was people furiously sending messages all the room. Who's ordering what from where? And all this junk food arrives within the next hour. Right. And they'd look at me because I didn't order stuff and I've got a lunch. And they went, well, where did that come from? And I made it. How long did that take? Like <laughs> 10 minutes? Yeah. And then they figure out I baked the bread. I'm like, oh my God, that must have taken hours. Well, I don't sit in front of the stove with a chair watching it bake. You know, I mean, there's a timer. Right. right. But this is how disconnected people are. And then I start bringing stuff. Like, okay, every so often I'm going to bring something that I baked and we can have a little coffee or whatever. And people, it was hysterical. So I walk in the door of the, the room at the beginning of shift and all these people are popping up over their flat screens like Meerkat Magic. Like, yeah, yeah. What? what you got? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and ultimately, inside of two years, we were starting to have regular... Uh, potlucks where people were starting to make stuff, starting to bring stuff, and starting to eat healthy and spend a lot less money. I mean, this is the kind of thing that we need to work on. Well, I mean, like what, what was food for, for, you know, thousands of years before today, right? It was a time of gathering, of meeting, mm -hmm. you know, now uh, when I'm at work, uh, like I've had times when I'm eating so fast that I'm like, I'm going to get a stomach ache. And I just, at one point I was like, no, this is ridiculous. My work, you know, first of all, I can't get fired from my job because I have excellent job security. And second of all, it's like, why am I foregoing my needs just to be, to run faster on this hamster wheel? Right. Yeah. So it's almost like this whole COVID stay at home thing. It's a chance to return to ourselves right and i think that's why it's been so difficult for some people is that we don't want to face ourselves very true right well we, sh we should not be afraid of that because again if, if you get the idea that i have weaknesses and if i if i look at myself i will see them <laughs> maybe we, if we start getting the idea that i just want to see what i am and, and yeah some of those things could be weaknesses if i use them the wrong way so let's figure out how to use them the right way and suddenly you're going, you know what? I'm not, so, I'm not so bad. You know, I can make this work. You know, I realize I need to do it this way because this is the way I put together, but I've got that figured out. Well, there you go. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, that's why meditation and mindfulness, these are becoming such, you know, fads, but it's like, well, it's because we're so distracted, right? We, we, Back when we were hunter-gatherers, you know, uh, 10,000 years ago or whatever, we had a lot of time to think, right? Back when we were agricultural workers, we had a lot of time to think. But now there's like, you're just constantly distracted. There's social media, your phones. I mean, there's this thing, piece. what's that? Piece. I, I had this conversation with one of the neighbors of my community years ago. He's unfortunately no longer with us, uh, Paul Tweedian. He, he was the founder of an organization that did security for pagan festivals called Guardians of the Fourth Face. And we were talking about what's the difference between a soldier and a warrior and we're having us, you know, back and forth thing. And then we both had classes that we had to teach. So he went that way and I went that way. And, you know, hour later, I've come back to my tent. This is down at Dragon Fest in Colorado. And uh, put my stuff away and I look up and he's bounding across the field. 
this this epiphany, you know, the <laughs> I've got it. He runs up, grabs me by the shoulders, and goes, "Soldiers march, warriors dance." If you are a martial artist, you understand this intimately because you don't have time in the middle of kumite, you know, when you're when you're sparring with someone, to go, okay, that's move number three. So I have to do just right. Yeah, it's called no mind. It's it's allowing yourself to dance, allowing yourself to go. That that, this that flow, this movie, flow. the um, last samurai. You know, yeah, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. all great. It keeps getting knocked down and knocked down and knocked down. And the, the son of the samurai leader comes up and goes, too many people, too many thoughts, no mind. And as soon as he grasps that, he goes, you know, and, and that it, part of this meditation thing is, is allowing yourself to fully experience everything around you, open up all of your senses and then dance, go with it, feel the energy around you and move with it. You know, they, they have this exercise in uh, Qigong called um, blowing in the wind, but the Qi move you around, you know, part of what we teach in the order is experiencing Qi. What's it feel like to you? I can't describe it to you because how it feels to you will be different for me, but I can give you an experience so you can feel it and you go there, that's it, you know? <laughs> And, uh, and it's relatively simple to do. So, you know, um, it, it's, it's getting used to that sort of stuff. That, that's part of what that meditation thing is about. It's, it's uh, Satori, it's, it's flow states, not trance states. Not trying to change your consciousness, that's easy. Go and have a beer, you know. It's a, oh, doing it's that. a flow yeah. state. It's being fully aware of all the things around you and, and then going. I mean, I, I have people come to me all the time saying, I have got negative energy and I need to put up walls and shields and wards and protect myself. No, you don't. You need to learn how to swim. You've got all this stuff around you. It's not negative. You may not be, it may not be something at this moment that you want to experience. But remember what I said? Energy follows intent. If the intent is this does not touch me. It doesn't. Does it's like this yeah. goes that way. This goes that that what I want, and that's why you meditate because then you get a sense of that stuff. That's so true because it's like uh, we resist. We're like we white knuckle existence, but it's like go to it, right? Ooh. That's that's what jujitsu is. I don't yes. do jujitsu, but you're almost using momentum against you're itself. Using the other person's energy. Exactly. There's a, right. there's and that's that dance. There's an exercise in um, Filipino martial arts. It's called Hubad Lubad, which means to tie and untie. And basically, the two of you are, are going back and forth and, and cycling through. And the object of the exercise is to catch you out and then turn it into an arm bar or something and go, okay, let's start again. But it is using the other person's energy and that goes back to what i was saying earlier like am i violent as a warrior no because i'm using your right right well I'm redirecting I, your energy and if you want to direct that at me i'm going to give it a place to go <laughs> down there it's good so and, and you got me thinking here and uh does silence even exist do you know what i mean when you sit down and quiet yourself i feel like that's when I, I really hear myself speaking. Yeah, I mean, Satori 
is not shutting everything out. It's opening yourself entirely. Right. Like 70% of your perception right now is vision and only 30% is everything else. But imagine what it would be like if you turned everything up to 100%. Wow. You know, I mean, everybody has psychic ability. Everybody. Uh, I, I have this simple test that I do for people where, and, and nobody's ever failed it. You know, and it's very, very simple. It's just basically, you have a person, yeah, I have a bag with something in it, put that down the ground and I say, okay, close your eyes. Now I've taken away one of your perceptual inputs. Now you're going to have to rely on all the others. So let's, what do you hear right now? Do you hear the aircraft flying over? Do you hear the, you know, the, the traffic on the street? Just describe the wind in the trees or whatever it is. And what do you smell? Or what do you feel the sun on your face and the pressure of your feet against the ground? You start getting people to turn on all those other things. And then you say, okay, I'm going to ask you some questions. Say the first thing that comes into your head, don't even attempt to think. Give me a shape. Give me a color. Give me a texture. Stuff like that. And they always describe this in that bag every single time. And, it, and it's very, very simple. If I have a child that has never seen a book before, right. I can open it up and it's full of symbols that are meaningless until I say, you know, each one of these is a letter and it has a sound. And then when I put them together, it's a word and has a meaning. And if I put those together, I have a whole connection and then they can open this and it opens on a whole world of meaning we have psychic ability we don't teach people how to use it we expect them to automatically turn it on and understand what we see well it doesn't work that way we have to teach people how to break it down into pieces and when you do that it works and when you keep doing that then you can get all the pieces together and say it's a marble or whatever it is it's in the bag you know right. it's we we find that, that kids five to eight years old are very good at this because they haven't yet learned that we're not supposed to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. It's the adults that struggle with it because this, you know, we're, we're indoctrinated to believe that we don't have this, but that's where you meditate. That's so you can open up that stuff. You, okay. You, I, you just kind of blew my mind here because five to eight year olds, they're so wondrous. Why, 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 why? Whereas as adults, we have to think that we have all the answers and we're very good at solving problems, but we're not very good at wondering about things. And that's why meditation is so awesome is because we're getting into this flow state or like what you're describing to me, this wonder state. Yes. Right? I think that's one of the reasons I'm encouraging people to go into the woods and look at the sky in the dark place we have better dark sky because that's the wonder thing right yeah you know so, I mean, one of the things i teach people i, I mentioned earlier I, I, these are the ways that other cultures view the sky but honestly i don't want you to memorize these i don't want you to memorize the 88 constellations that ptolemy gave to us i want you to look at the sky and see your own patterns i want you to see what you want to do with that you know there's there are clusters of stars up there that astronomers have been looking at for hundreds of years. And most of them have changed names over the years because as cultures change, people look at it and go, you know what? That was called Copeland's golden worm, but I don't think it's a, I think it looks like the seabird cluster. And it's the seabird cluster for a while. And then people who are fans of JK Rowling and Harry Potter come along and you went, you know what? That's Hagrid's dragon. So I, <laughs> yeah. That's the way you should be looking at the sky, you know, to see what it looks like to you. 
Here's, here's the other interesting thing is we don't own the sky, yet we give it all these names of some sort of strange ownership. We don't own space. We don't even own the earth, right? So, and, and I, I know you got the, uh, you have bread in the oven. So kind of, kind of getting to the, my last few questions here. Okay. Are we alone in the universe? Cause I don't think so. Okay. So, and that's, that's a guess. We don't know, obviously. Putting my astronomer hat on here. Okay. Um, you've got so far as a result of the Kepler space satellite and now, you know, newer uh, space satellites out there, you are now in a position to say that just about every star has got some planets, you know, I mean, there are something like there, there are, Every single galaxy, a galaxy our size has got, you know, 100 billion stars in it. Right. And even if, if um, only 1% of those has a Earth-sized planet that's in the habitable zone, that's a Goldilocks, lot yeah. And, and the challenge is not, is there stuff out there? The challenge is, and, and we know basically how far along in evolution we're going, because we know basically when the Big Bang was and when stars are created, you know, you've got a bit of an idea. The challenge is how are you ever going to connect with these things because it's so vast. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we, we for 80 years have been putting TV signal out, 100 years radio, and it's washed over about a thousand star systems. So let's say we pick one 50 light years away. Let's say they're as developed as we are would we be able to detect that? Well, think about it. If I sent a message to them, it would take 50 years to get there. Right. And assuming that they were able to intercept it and figure out what I'm saying, translate it, and send a reply, it's going to come back after I'm dead. Yeah. For starters, it's a 100-year round trip. But I was talking to uh, a, a uh, radio astrophysicist at the uh, Dominion Radio Astrophysical Observer about this Dr. Ken Tapping and he said okay so let's suppose they have TV too so what would we need to detect that signal he said if you took the world's largest radio telescope array a synthetic array called the event horizon telescope mm. all these massive radio telescopes and point them all for one month at that planet 50 light years away you could say you know I think I could detect some radiation there that might have an artificial source. That's the best they could do. You couldn't watch an a uh, alien sitcom. If you wanted that, you had a radio telescope whose diameter was the diameter of the orbit of the moon. And then you get a very poor picture and maybe sound. I mean, that's what it would take to pull something like that. Yeah, because, because nothing, nothing can go fast. Like that's the theory of relativity is right. nothing can go faster than faster the speed of light. Speed of Light except space time. Okay, yeah. Warp yeah. drive. <laughs> what, right, <laughs> right, right, which is fictional. But, yes. No, seriously. I mean, yeah. the, the galaxies that are furthest away are actually uh, moving away from us faster than the speed of light because the, the oh. like a balloon, if you, if you put a whole right. bunch of pictures of galaxies on it and blow it up, they all move apart. But yeah. the ones that are close together are not moving apart as the ones that are yes. further apart. Gotcha. So it's possible for space time to go faster than the speed of light. But anyway, what I'm saying is it's, yeah. it's a massive universe, 92 billion light years across at the moment and getting bigger. 
and accelerating. And so whether we're ever going to be able to communicate with anything else that's out there is another question altogether. But am I pretty confident that the kind of chemistry that happened here that might produce life might be out there somewhere else? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Odds are, so. I mean, you, you've opened up an entirely new discussion here because you got me thinking about time <laughs> and as things expand. Yeah, 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 yeah. So last question. Yeah. Um, what happened? What What do you think happens after we die? Because this is a, this is a thought that we try so hard our lives to avoid. What happens after we die? What do you? Think? I mean, this is sort of like trying to figure out what dark matter and dark energy is. I mean, we don't know. We don't really have any way at the moment that that is definitive of of you know figuring that out so we got all kinds of theories about it and and i think what it comes down to is what works for you what are you comfortable with i mean i'm not really particularly concerned about what happens uh or where i go after i'm gone because i'll be gone here yeah, yeah. you know uh there's no point in in getting anxious about it you know uh, live every day like it's your last and, and get on with it but you know, um, I honestly haven't given a lot of thought to that. I really, I, it might have when I was younger, but I don't anymore. This doesn't concern me. I'm, I'm concerned about mastery now, not, not mastery after. Now. We'll find out. Yeah. You know? Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. You, you've you've accomplished so much in your life. Uh, what's what's next for you? Well, a book. I mean, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've got 26 of those now, but, um, <laughs> um well, continuing the work on self-mastery because it's mm -hmm. an ongoing project, um, doing what I can to serve people out there. My, my current quests are, like I said, inclusivity and diversity projects and working to, you know, help people get rid of that artificial light and save a great deal of money in the process and improve people's health and safety at the same time and, and helping to educate other people to do that mastery stuff if they're interested and uh that's that's probably why people are saying you're busier now than yeah you're yeah that's, that's probably enough right that's a vast objective <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for your time you're welcome and uh thank you for giving me the opportunity oh hey thank you I, I, we so you might have to put me in touch with another astronomer as well Oh, I can do that. Okay, awesome. I know lots. Okay, well, thank you. Okay, well, thank you again. I'm, I'm just okay. going to stop the recording.